I broke both of my wrists. I played all four years of my college career with cast on my hands. This is Lewis Leonard. He played five years in the NFL for six teams. In 2010, he retired. I played defensive line. A defensive line, you have to hit a person with your hands and you have to control them. And that's how you play the position. Well, I have zero mobility in my wrist. So I can't even do a push-up on the ground. So instead of using my hands, I had to use my head. So there was countless times that I got done with a game and went home and the room was spinning. Or throughout the game, I got a vicious headache. Or now today, I sneeze and it goes black or a whole bunch of white dots to where, you know, I got to wait a couple seconds before I can see clear. So all those things is what I deal with on a day-to-day. Lewis is one of many retired NFL players who've experienced intense physical and mental repercussions from playing the game. After years of taking hits to the head, his brain is injured. He wrestles with memory loss, depression, anxiety, and anger issues. I didn't know why I would cry. You know, I didn't know why I could be in the car and and just feel frustrated and have to pull over. Somebody do something, cut in front of me, and I just get angry and hide. And I just didn't know what that was. I, I had no clue. I didn't know why I was not able to sleep at night. I didn't know why I did some of the impulsive things that I, that I did. I just didn't know why. But what he did know was something wasn't right. And it hadn't been for a while. This is stuff that I dealt with when I was in the league. I, I remember sitting on the bench and wondering, like, why am I here? Like, this don't feel right. Where it used to be fun, I'm like, something's in me that's just, like, not right. It's an imbalance that's, that's going on in my body, and I didn't know what it was. It's only in the last couple of decades that people started to pay attention to what's happening off the football field. It started with the growing number of stories about former players who were displaying erratic, sometimes violent behavior, and were experiencing memory troubles. There was also a rising number of suicides. In 2005, we got a name for it, CTE. Researchers found that repeated hits to the head, even minor ones, over a long period of time, can result in the degenerative disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. CTE can cause all sorts of problems, memory loss, depression, anxiety, and other diseases defined by cognitive decline. Things that will alter your life permanently, making it difficult to hold a job or sustain a relationship. The discovery culminated in a class action lawsuit. Almost 5,000 retired players alleged that the NFL knew about the connection between concussions and long-term neurological damage, and that the league didn't do enough to protect them, warn them of the risks, or adjust the game to make it safer. Football season is kicking off under a bit of a cloud this year, with the NFL preparing to pay hundreds of millions of dollars to former players who believe their health was damaged by those on-field concussions. In 2013, the NFL and retired players settled, coming to an agreement that allocated hundreds of millions of dollars for medical exams, legal fees, and research. It was a pretty big deal, because there's no other agreement like that that exists in sports history. And of course, it wasn't perfect, Part of the agreement included a stipulation from the NFL that the settlement was not an admission of guilt. And by not going to trial, the league avoided what could have been a potentially damning investigation into what they knew about concussions and long-term brain damage. But not going to trial 
also meant that retired players like Lewis, who had been affected and desperately needed medical assistance and attention, would have some recourse. They'd be able to get the money they needed much faster, because when it comes to treating any sort of cognitive decline, time is of the essence. But that's not exactly what happened. It's been years since the settlement was finalized and still a majority of the claimants haven't received any financial assistance. And there's more BS. As it turns out, the claims process was designed to make it harder for black players to qualify for payouts purely on the basis of race. So the bullshit is coming. I'm Alzo Slade, and from something else, this is Cheat, a series that asks the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, concussions, race, and the NFL. How the league's use of a race-based scoring system for concussion settlement payouts discriminated against black players. American football is like a religion over here in the U.S., And I say American football because I know you folks across the pond who are listening are really particular about calling football football. So when it comes to American football over here, every Sunday you kick your feet up and you watch gladiators on the field go head to head, toe to toe in battle for 60 minutes. I even played Little League football and I remember getting knocked around and, you know, feeling a bit dizzy, but... You didn't think anything of it. It's like, ah, no, get up, be a man, walk it off. And so when this settlement hit the headlines, fans of the NFL were surprised, but not really. Only surprised that it took this long for them to recognize that this was a problem. And since 2013, it's taken some time for the settlement to actually go into effect. In order to qualify for a monetary award, Retired players need to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, dementia, or have died due to CTE before July 2014. And for the most part, these diseases all have specific technical definitions, and the settlement required that players suffering needed to fall under one of those categories. In fact, just displaying symptoms of CTE, like depression and memory loss, Nah, that doesn't meet the threshold for the settlement. It's only if the memory loss rises to the level of dementia. Are y'all starting to smell the bullshit? Stay with me. And for dementia, the settlement created different levels. A player's neurocognitive impairment could be deemed level 1, 1.5, or 2. Level 2 being moderate to severe dementia. Only players who were determined to be level 1.5 or level 2 would be eligible for an award. The claim process was opened in 2017. Lewis was one of the many players who submitted one. When he left the league in 2010, not only was he dealing with cognitive and behavior problems, but with physical injuries too, including an issue with his knee that still needs surgery. A few years after Lewis retired, the NFL recognized him as disabled. That process required visits all over the country to a number of NFL-approved doctors. It was exhausting. His wife, Lacey, who has a background in medical education, supported him through the process, pushing his wheelchair through the airport, going with him to every test, and she's going through this claims process with him too. 
To start his concussion settlement claim, Lewis saw two neuropsychologists for a series of cognitive tests. This is his wife, Lacey. My husband initially got like a 2.0 rating, which showed severe neurocognitive damage. Lewis was eligible for an award. He met the threshold for moderate dementia. But before his approval could go through, the NFL concussion settlement administrator told the Leonards that his claim would be audited. The law firm overseeing the claim process would submit the claim. So several months, they were going through all of his medical reports, and they sent us a letter informing us and our attorney that there was no adverse findings and that his case was then moving forward, meaning that he had received an approval to receive his benefit. So the audit turned up nothing weird. Lewis's case was in the clear. He's going to get his money. The NFL administrator sent my husband a letter stating that they had approved his NFL concussion settlement. They also, in that letter, it stated what the benefits would be when he would receive it. Lewis was in line for a multi-million dollar award. Depending on the severity of cases, awards can be anywhere from $1.5 to $5 million. But money like that goes pretty fast when you think about the cost of medical treatment and care for the rest of Lewis's life. The money also helps with supporting his household. Lewis and Lacey have two young sons. But there was one remaining step in the process. A small window of time where the NFL could still appeal Lewis's claim. Weeks passed with no word. And then it was the very last day. I literally was waiting all day that day. I literally could probably pull up text messages talking to his attorney saying, have you heard anything? No, Lacey, haven't heard anything. I literally was calling every hour. After 5 o'clock, I'm like, oh, it's good. People are, in my head, are off work after 5. Maybe we're smooth sailing. I'm with Lacey. Any reasonable person would have thought by the evening, hey, we're in the clear. Ah, but however, the claim was open until 11.59 p.m. Literally, like at 11.55, the attorney sent me a message. He says, Lacey, nope, haven't heard anything. And then the next message, like 11.56, Lacey, I'm so sorry. I'm like, wait, what? Like 11.56, 11.57, shot the notification that it was appealed. And then we got stuff in the mail. And I was just like, these guys are crooks. What the F you you know what I'm saying. Minutes before the deadline, the NFL is going to appeal the claim. Actual minutes. My heart was just broken. It was just like, how do you do this to people and go to sleep at night? How do you literally go home and have any type of good conscience when you know what you have done to people who are dealing with what they're dealing with medically? Lewis's claim, which had been approved was now being challenged by the NFL. Two NFL-approved doctors and an auditor all confirmed that Lewis was eligible. It didn't make any sense. What could have changed? When they sent the appeal, they didn't say that he did not have neurocognitive damage. They said that there was failure to use the NFL's norms. Oh, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Norms? Who said anything about norms? So we start doing more research. We find out, well... The doctors who did my husband's test, they didn't apply his race. Oh. Oh, we're applying race now? What the hell does that mean, they didn't apply his race? What does race have to do with something like this? Lacey and Lewis were asking the same questions. What norms are you guys talking about? 
And then we find out that they were denying players because they said that those race norms should have been applied. The NFL was complaining that the doctors who assessed Lewis's claim hadn't applied what they called the race norms. What? The race norms? What the hell? Shouldn't you just be looking at Lewis as Lewis, as an individual, as an athlete that got jacked up while playing the sport? Because if they'd done that, Lewis would have qualified for the money. If they applied the race norms, he didn't. A lot of other black players were in the same situation. More on that bullshit after the break. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. I evaluate people with brain injury and other psychiatric conditions as to the extent of their impairment and their diagnoses and the like. This is Dr. Charles Golden. He's a professor of psychology specializing in neuropsychology at Nova Southeastern University. And in the context of what we're doing here, we did evaluations of NFL players for the NFL settlement. In 2017, Dr. Golden agreed to participate in the NFL settlement program. The league sent over materials that outlined the evaluation process for participating clinicians. It required that we give the exact same test to each client and that we score them generally in the same way. But they gave us a choice between using what are called racial norms versus not using racial norms. They strongly recommended we use racial norms, but they said that it was up to us to make that decision. Okay, before we get any further, let's explain what these racial norms are. Race norming, or race correction, has been around since the 90s. Well, originally they were created to help people, which is, given the situation we're in now, kind of ironic. Let's give you an example of how norms are used. Like, if someone was evaluating my memory it could be useful to compare my results to someone who's in a similar age bracket as me, not someone significantly younger or older. Initially, race norms were used in schools to control for bias in intelligence tests, which we all know at this point are pretty biased themselves, but that's another episode. Schools would score tests along students' race to identify the top 2% of white students, black students, Hispanic students, and so forth. And then they compose a class with the top performers from each demographic. Now, racial norms have also been used in medicine, like to try and correct for overdiagnosing schizophrenia and other psychiatric disorders. But in general, 
Most doctors agree that doing all that is just not a good idea since race isn't tied to biological differences. A lot of people don't use it, or if they do use it, we use it just to give us an idea of the comparison of how people are functioning, but we don't use it to give us a diagnostic outcome. In this case, the NFL recommended two scoring systems. One of them uses what's called the Heaton norms, named after neuropsychologist Dr. Robert Heaton. They're data sets that he compiled in the 90s after administering cognitive tests to a sample size of people. His results are essentially used as a comparison point for other folks taking cognitive tests. Now, Heaton said that he only had the funding to test the sample size of black people and white people. So there's just a black norm and a white norm. God forbid if you're mixed race or Asian or Latin or just anything other than white and black. So you can see there's a whole lot of problems here. But first and foremost, these norms start out with the baseline assumption that black people have lower cognitive functioning compared to white people. So already the deck is stacked against the black players here. The use of the racial norms basically makes us assume that the minority, mainly black players, started out at a lower level of functioning than the white players did. So it gives the white players an advantage in terms of qualifying. Oh, Lord have mercy. So you can see race norming assumes that there's something fundamentally different between black people and white people, and consequently their scores are curved differently. I mean, that's just plain BS and racist. So why would the NFL even suggest clinicians use some nonsense like this in the first place? And when the NFL initially sent over those materials to Dr. Golden, he agreed to participate, but he told them, I ain't using these race norms. In fact, it was something we had a fairly long conversation about. I don't use racial norms in a situation like this because it makes it more difficult for minority players to qualify for the settlement as compared to white players. Because the way these norms work, since black cognitive functioning is presumed to be lower, black players' scores are corrected in a way that makes it harder for them to prove cognitive decline. So that means if we use the black norms and that raises their score two points, the white person getting the same performance gets a score of 34 and their brain damage. The black person gets a score of 36 and suddenly they're normal, even though they are presenting with exactly the same deficits, exactly the same problem. What the hell is going on? Like, this also means that when black players do qualify, they have more severe neurocognitive damage than the score actually reflects. Now, Keep in mind, too, that the financial awards are also adjusted to severity. So black players have to have even more damage than white players to still get less than what they're due. A lot of participating clinicians declined to use the black norms, including Dr. Golden. He examined about 100 retired players, including Najee Davenport, who's one of the plaintiffs that brought a lawsuit against the NFL in 2020 overusing these nonsensical race-norming standards. Najee was one of those mild to moderate cases who was right 
on the borderline of the NFL criteria. We have a lawsuit there because when you use the black norms, Najee is not impaired. And when you use the white norms, Najee is impaired. When Dr. Golden evaluated Najee, he didn't apply the black norms. To use the heat and scoring system at all, you have to specify race. So he used the white norms on all of his players he evaluated. Najee qualified for a claim and he passed the first level of evaluation. And then they send it up to the NFL evaluation. They get to appeal the the decisions. And the NFL comes back to me, not personally, but through people. And they tell me, you used the white norms on him. You should have used the black norms. And I said, well, it says in the settlement, I get to choose which norms you use. And they said, well, no, you don't. You have to use the black norms. Dr. Golden refused. I sent it back to them and said, he meets the qualifications. This says that I can use these norms. He qualifies. So they decided, nope, that you had to use the black norms instead of the white norms, no matter what the settlement actually says. And they denied him. There was another appeal process, and Najee was denied his claim again. That's when he filed the lawsuit along with another player, Keevan Henry against the NFL, bringing this race-norming practice to light. Lewis's claim was approved, then turned down. Najee's never made it past the second level of evaluation. What they both have in common is that their clinicians didn't apply the black norms to their scores. And there are other retired black players who had the same experience. So by now, you can see that all of this is pretty messed up, and that's to say the least. But one thing to point out here is that a scoring system like this just doesn't make sense for measuring something like neurocognitive damage. There's just so many problems with this settlement that uh, I can't believe that people agreed to it. Brain injury is not a yes or no thing. CTE is not a yes or no. It's a continuum. For a lot of these cognitive issues, you decline over time. A mild case of dementia gets a whole lot worse down the line which is what clinicians have been trying to point out to the NFL. Although they say they are interested in clinical opinion, they, in fact, they appear, certainly from the player's point of view, to be just looking for ways to deny them what is applicable. And I think the whole settlement, to a degree, when I first read it, I had the same impression, was, again, how can you have a cutoff for the effects of a head injury in saying this is a real head injury and this isn't? It makes no sense whatsoever. And again, clinically would never, ever occur in working with clients. But when clinicians push back, they're overruled. It's like... Arguing with the referee, you're never going to win. And there's not much more that they can do for their patients other than stick by their diagnosis. This is Lacey again. I have literally had doctors call my cell phone and say, Miss Leonard, I am so sorry. I don't understand how the NFL overturned my judgment. I 100% stand behind my diagnosis of your husband. Hmm. I wonder why the NFL would try to dismiss so many of these claims. I'm guessing, and this is a guess because I don't have any inside information, that again, they were afraid of the number of people that would qualify if they allowed clinicians to make judgments because, in fact, they have disqualified a lot of people who may not reach the level of dementia, but certainly have substantial deficits and problems that should have been compensated. And, of course, 
it always comes back to the money, doesn't it? More after the break. Money, money, and more money. See, around the time of the 2013 settlement, there was a whole lot of litigation between the NFL and their insurance companies. Over 30 companies sued the league, and the league sued some of the companies, and basically, it was a big, big, fat mess that all came down to a fight over who was going to pay these retired players what they're due. It got even more crazy after the monetary fund changed, too. The settlement initially set aside $765 million for players who'd suffered cognitive impairments. But it quickly became clear that that was not going to be enough. So the award fund was uncapped, increasing the estimated cost of the settlement to $1 billion. Fast forward to present day in 2021, many of these suits have settled outside of the court. But what was blatantly clear was that nobody wanted to foot this particular bill. And one way to save money to make insurance companies happier is to have fewer claimants. And when you also consider that 70% of the NFL is black, if it's harder for black players to qualify for a claim, then that's less money you got to pay out. In this case, there was financial incentive to create a situation where black players would be at a disadvantage. If my husband was a white man, he would have received his NFL concussion settlement. There's no doubt in my mind. If he was a white man, we would not be having this conversation with you. Lewis would receive his benefits. The 2020 lawsuit brought by Najee Davenport and Keevan Henry over the use of race norming went back to the same judge who's been on this case for over 10 years now, U.S. District Court Judge Anita Brody for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. She initially dismissed this particular lawsuit as an improper attack on the settlement agreement. But a few months later, she called all parties back to the table to figure out another agreement. And this past June, the NFL announced they would no longer use race norming. This morning, the NFL reaching a deal with its former players, eliminating the use of the controversial practice of race norming. This month, a new proposal for the settlement structure was filed in court, one that eliminates the use of race norms completely. But there's still many reasons to be a bit wary because it's basically the same lawyers involved in the first agreement that are back at the table with just a few new faces. About 20,000 of the retired NFL players are represented by this guy, Chris Seeger, the lawyer from the first settlement. Other news reports have included evidence that as early as 2019, Seeger was informed that the application of race norms resulted in discrimination. And yet, the settlement wasn't amended until 2021. Seeger initially said he wasn't aware of any racial bias, but since then has acknowledged that a mistake was made. He publicly apologized for the pain this has caused black players and their families. He's lost a lot of trust with families who started to question whether he has the player's best interest in mind. He made it sound as if, oh, there might be a few I wasn't aware. Now that I'm aware, I'm gonna change it. You weren't aware that this was happening? This wasn't isolated incidents because this happened to numerous families. And the fact that the NFL never came forth to show, hey, we can show you how many black players, white players, Latino players have received awards. That just, to me, validates 
that there was biases towards these players. There have been a lot of calls for the NFL to release data about the demographics of who received payouts so far. Basically, folks want to know how many white people have got paid over black people. But they refuse to share that information. Even a group of senators wrote to the league asking similar questions. So far, nothing has been released. Recently, retired player Ken Jenkins and his wife, Dr. Amy Lewis, delivered materials to the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, calling for an investigation into the NFL. Maybe this step will provide some transparency. In order to get information about who is and isn't getting their money, retired players and their families are relying on word of mouth. And that's pretty telling. I have a girlfriend I just got off the phone with this afternoon, and her husband, the same thing. He had received an approval. You know, he had received a letter letting you know them know what the award would be. And then the NFL came back, and they reversed their approval. Most of the people that I know didn't even get approved. They just got blatantly denied. I don't know. It's, it's absurd, honestly. It's 2021, and we're still battling systemic racism. And there's a long history of this in both sports and medicine. It's sad because, you know, even with me coming from a medical background, working at a medical school and seeing how things are done, you know, I have witnessed where black patients don't receive pain medications the same way as maybe a white patient. You know, this is something that we talk about often. You hear it often. This stuff that black people are sadly experiencing, we're not making it up. It's This is a day-to-day thing. And in the meantime, there's been other news. Just this past May, the NFL signed an 11-year TV contract for over $100 billion with CBS, NBC, Fox, ESPN, and Amazon. With this contract, which starts in 2023, the NFL becomes America's most lucrative sports league. So, you know, it would stand to be that they're making all of this money Maybe they could take another look at the BS race norms that neglected the black players who contributed so much to the league that made them the most lucrative sports league. Even with the prospect of a new claims process, Lacey and Lewis are understandably skeptical. A new agreement was filed with the court this month, but it still needs to be approved, so next steps are still a bit unclear. And in Lewis's case, They're waiting to find out what needs to happen for rescoring and possibly retesting. This is Lewis again. Even with what's going on now today, everybody's going, oh, do you feel good about it? There's finally something going on. It's like, let me know when we get to the finish line. I've gotten my hopes up. It's been so many times that, you know, I've been done wrong and it's kind of hard, but um, we're standing strong. We're standing together. For retired players, they've been through a lot already. And this is a lot to process. There are a lot of good memories about playing in the NFL. And now it's hard to square those experiences with the treatment they're receiving from the league. Don't get it wrong. I wanted to play the game. You know what I mean? It it allowed me to do some things that I never thought I'd be able to do in my life. But in the midst of me being a part of a team, I felt like like, like I was a part of that. And that I had to go out there and give my all. You know, it felt like it was my duty. And then it felt good to be able to retire to say, like, you you withstood this long enough to say, like, you're retired. But now I sit here and I'm 
treating my room like a dungeon, you know, secluding myself away from my kids and my family, or, you know, I don't want to answer my cell phone, or, or I don't want to, you know, go to family events, or I don't want to cook like I used to cook, or, or I can't even stand up and barbecue like I used to barbecue, or I don't even season my meat like I used to season my meat. And it's little things like that that I'm like, what is wrong with me? There's an analogy Lewis kept using to describe how things felt these days. Digging up dirt. For a lot of his life, he said he's been throwing dirt over things and moving forward. But now, he's got to dig it all up, over and over again. When I come and I do interviews like this, it's like me just digging that dirt that I had threw, that I had tried to hide, um, and I'm digging it back up. And it gives me anxiety and it's probably going to take me a few days to recover from this this ordeal that I'm doing now. And a lot of people is not going to be able mm-hmm. to see that. That's something I'm going to have to go through. But I know because I get like this when I go to doctors and the doctor's steady, steady telling me that, hey, Mr. Leonard, this is going on. Or you're like a 85-year-old man and you're only 37. So it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. And to be able to play a certain amount of time and be eligible for benefits and then do everything I'm supposed to do to receive those benefits and then not get them because of my race. And I went out here and went to war for these teams. Like, I, I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's true that part of this story is ongoing. There'll be a new claims process. There'll be recourse for players who've been denied so far. But even if the wrongs are righted, biases are corrected, blind spots are exposed, a lot of the harm has already been done. Especially when you consider that part of the reason the 2013 settlement was pushed in the first place was to get relief to retire players faster. Instead, the opposite has happened. Not only was the settlement structured to make it difficult for impacted players to qualify for a payout, but it was structured to make it even more difficult for black players to qualify. A real racist move on the part of an organization that makes its money off of black bodies. So let's be real. Sometimes an apology just don't cut it. Because, and we've talked about this before on Cheat, when you're handling people's health, their livelihoods, their futures, there is no excuse. And we're talking about people who navigate daily life with debilitating mental and physical issues people who have even died while waiting on this money. And to the NFL, yeah, people still like watching games on Sunday. And the players know it's dangerous. We know it's a dangerous sport. But it's tough to watch knowing that you don't care about the players like you should. You knew it was a dangerous sport because you put in protocols to minimize concussions over the past few years. So now it's time for you to put in the right protocols. None of this race norming stuff to pay the people who were damaged while playing your game and making your money. It's pretty simple. Just pay up. And not because a court directs you to, or a write-up in a magazine flames you, or a bad week of ratings incentivizes you. Pay up because it's the right thing to do. Lacey Leonard started an organization, Tackle Health a behavioral health outpatient facility based in Arizona. And Lacey's podcast is called Life Lessons, 
Stories of an NFL Wife. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat, The Jason Blair Affair. How the young reporter working for the New York Times became an institution's nightmare. Jason's sins were significant and real and fundamental and disqualifying. Was it self-sabotage? Yeah. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Julia Doyle. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Ennis Bowen. The original idea for this show was developed by Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Our design and visual team is Emma Lansdowne and Sarah De La Rue. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola. <laughs>